This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcasting every Tuesday morning, 8 to 9, Pacific Time on KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. The events of 9-11 had many pundits on the left and right scrambling to declare an end to the age of irony. But six years on, we're as ironic as ever. In his new book, Chic Ironic Bitterness, our guest today, R.J. McGill Jr., defends this detachment, an attitude that helps us preserve values such as authenticity, sincerity, and seriousness that might otherwise be lost in a world filled with spin, marketing, and jargon. McGill is a writer and illustrator whose work has appeared in scads of other publications, including American Prospect, The New York Times, and The Wall Street Journal. A recent recipient of a Ph.D. in American Studies from the University of Hamburg in Germany, McGill has taught at the University of Lundberg and at Harvard University. R.J. McGill, Jr., welcome to Weekly Signals. Thank you very much for having me, guys. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Now, did, did we reach you in Berlin? Yes, I am in Berlin, where it's cloudy and normal for Berlin. Oh, well, then it's perfect weather for a wedding. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I am getting married on Saturday. Yes, I know. Congratulations on all that. Congratulations. I I, uh, had uh, communication with your sister, Liz. Did she get there all right? Oh, my gosh. She's not here yet. She's on her way tonight. Yeah, she's uh, an Orange County in here. So we're we're, we're bridging, bridging the channel, I guess. Yeah, she's in Yorba Linda. <laughs> so, so tell me, how did you come across the chic ironic bitterness as a topic for a book? What what inspired you? Well, it started as a it started as a dissertation at the University of Hamburg that you, you mentioned that in your introduction, uh-huh. and you just, you know you just start noticing your these these jokes that you share with your friends and this attitude you share with your friends over and over and over again, and then you realize it's not just your friends, it's their friends' friends, and uh, soon enough it becomes like something you recognize as something generational, that uh-huh. um, scores of people have this detached, uh, satirical take on the wackiness that's our reality right now. Um, and it, it deserves some looking into where where that comes from and uh, historically where, uh, you know, intellectually what it's built upon. And um, so it sort of started there as a, as a topic of interest. Where did you find that it, 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 it got its, uh, its birth? You know, I mean, especially in, in the uh, late 20th century, it seems like chic ironic bitterness flowered. Yeah, for sure. I mean, now it's like the default reaction for, I would, I mean, I've never done any studies, sort of empirical studies, but now it seems like the default reaction, the default worldview for millions of young people from New York to Omaha, doesn't matter where you are in the country. Um, and the, the historical burst really came at the end of the, oddly enough, at the end of the 18th century, people started talking about it. Uh, in England and in Germany and, and later on in the United States, um, this ironic worldview that before had just been a literary trope, you know, used in plays and and literature throughout the ages, and it seems at the end of the night at the 18th century and just snowballed from there. Um, this this sort of attitude, this wry, distanced, snarky sort of attitude, uh, became 
you know, some people call it a disease spreading everywhere, but <laughs> it seems like an entirely rational response to, to lots of stuff that's going on now. Well, you, you mentioned, too, it, it seems like a, a defense that people use to protect themselves for, for insincerity. Is, am I getting that right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's entirely true. And, and one of the things that happens in the debate or that had happened in the debate um, after the publication of a book that I'm sure a lot of your, your listeners know called Four Common Things by a, a now a law professor at Duke University named Jedediah Purdy, um, there was this opposition set up between sincerity and earnestness on the one hand, excuse me, and irony and cynicism on the other hand. And I think that that whole discussion that went on missed the bigger point and the more historical point was that these attitudes show up in a defense of being sincere, in a defense of trying to be an earnest, good person. And when there's lots of things in the outside world that seem to be contaminants, uh, irony acts as a defense to, to distance the self, to distance the, the value of, to use a fancy word, the value of inwardness or interiority, um, to sort of keep these disturbing things at bay, and it's, it seems one of the, the most the most honest things we have going. Yeah. I Sometimes I almost look at it as an, an offensive move, in, in, in that uh, I, I'm always thinking of uh, Mario Savio's speech, uh, where you throw yourself into the, the gears of the machine to make it come mm-hmm. to a stop, and with irony, you, you're throwing grease into the wheels of the machine to, to make it run too fast and, and explode. Because I, at least what I'm, I'm getting from what you've said about irony is it's a Socratic irony you're talking about. It's mm. the, it, it, am I right on that? Is it, it's, for the most part, you're talking about uh, uh, becoming part of the problem like Stephen Colbert does to show how horrible the problem is. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he does it completely brilliantly, and, and so does uh, John Stewart of The Daily Show. I mean, uh, it's funny, you're, you had a guest on the other name, the other day named Benjamin Barber, uh-huh. who, who a lot of people know, and uh, he had gone on Colbert and just said, wow, it's really hard coming off that show to have your idealism intact. These guys are, you know, cynicism pure. Yeah. And that, again, seems to, to miss it, is um, cynicism pure doesn't have any need for satire at poking at untruths, at poking at hypocrisy, at um, poking at lies. I mean, it's, cynicism is, is sort of okay with that. That's just the way, the way the world works. And this other kind of irony that I'm talking about, this, this longer tradition of irony as a worldview of this sort of skepticism, um, wants something better. Mm-hmm. It wants a better social world. It wants politicians who don't lie to you. It wants, uh, you know, senators not to <laughs> have problems in bathrooms. And this, that, this sort of uh, this attitude, you know, Socratic irony is a is a method of ironic engagement that, um, you know, during a conversation tries to show people that they don't know what they think they know, or try to show them that they know things they don't think they know. So it's a Socratic irony is a, a technique, and this broader ironic worldview is 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 what the book is about. Mm-hmm. We're speaking with R.J. McGill. The book is Chic Ironic Bitterness. Now, do you have a, a favorite uh, Chic Ironic Bitter show? Do you have a Chic Ironic Bitter, bitter Top Ten, or is there is there a top of the list there? 
sure. I can't. I can't sort of live without the Daily Show. I think that uh-huh. that's just one of the most honest things going on in in culture. And um, you know, some of our more serious pundits, Al Gore was on there, and uh, not too long ago, and said, you know, the only way that you can talk about true things these days is to do it through satire. So uh, that was that was pretty amazing coming from one of the most boring politicians ever. <laughs> Uh, and of course, the Simpsons and uh, South Park, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Family Guy, Colbert. I mean, all these, all these shows do a similar thing. They share in this broader tradition of um, poking fun again at, at politicians or these horribly boring, um, mundane features of everyday life that you know I just think lots of people think are ridiculous. We don't know how to. We don't know really how to to express all that except. For for laughing at them. <laughs> well, I'm certainly I must be a uh, devotee because you you're naming uh, most of my favorite shows when you when you ran down that list. I have to yeah. tell you one of my one of my all time favorite things that the Daily Show did was uh, when uh, Vice President Cheney shot the man uh, <laughs> in the hunting accident, right? And they kept repeating. They had two or three correspondents come in on the show to report on this incident, and every one of them kept repeating the phrase. The vice president has shot a man in the face. They just kept repeating it, and it was it was perfect. You know that sort of perfect blend of realism, cynicism, and all the things that you're talking about. Um, I I want to ask you a sort of to put a little different spin on this, and something that does I'm bothered by when when we speak of irony and and such, and that is it seems to me what you're talking about as an, is an informed irony, an informed cynicism, if you will. Where when I talk to some people about things that are going on in the world, there is a defense mechanism that is an uninformed irony, an uninformed sort of uh, chic bitterness that really bothers me. Does this yeah. is this ring true to you too, or or not? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's that other kind of uninformed irony. And I'll be the most uncool person ever for saying it. Is I think this attitude we call cool. Yeah. Um, which is this knee-jerk default sort of uh, the response is always whatever, yeah. or you wear crazy giant sunglasses, or you dress in T-shirts with faded typography from the 70s, and this sort of default cool. I think that's also a defense. I think that's also this attempt that's to... That's what I'm wearing right the, now, though, RJ. <laughs> <laughs> I, if you can I, see I, Nathan right now, yeah, he's got, got those big sunglasses on. I've got on the him. sunglasses, <laughs> yeah, the faded that's T-shirt. That's how we do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how we do it? You know, that, that hurts deeply. We're grabbing at straws here. <laughs> That's no. one of the ways we we do it. I mean, no. and there's nostalgia involved in in no. that kind of in that kind of cool because it reaches back, or not not that it's a conscious thing, but um, that kind of nostalgia for the Jackie O sunglasses yeah. and you know dressing like you lived from the seventies or whatever. The, that is another way of saying there's something wrong with the present, and this other time was a little better when I was like nine years old. But, yeah, but I'm, I'm going to come to defense of cool just a little bit because cool is never admitted. Once once you say anything is cool, it is absolutely not cool. Yeah, <laughs> and, and 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 so there are plenty of cool people out there, but you just don't talk about it. Once once you talk about cool. Once it becomes the MTV cool, yeah. then it is no longer cool. Yeah. Well, that's right. I just want to say, because going back to this, cause, and I don't pick on you know anyone in particular, just to say, when when they say whatever, like you talk about, try to talk about the war or w- the things that are important, global warming, and they say whatever. No, it's not whatever. 
that's right. not a defense mechanism. That's just that's that's that is a uh, that's a willful uh, um, act on their part to not know about something. Where I think what you're talking about is an informed <clears throat> sense that you know what's going on, but it is there's nothing that you individually can do at that particular point, and and this becomes a defense mechanism. I, I, think that, I do think that that's true, and I, I, the only thing I would add is that the thing that both the informed and the uninformed share is whatever, like you said, it doesn't mean whatever, it means I'm disappointed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And I think that that's the, the lowest common denominator between those two. I mean, to be informed um, about all these frightening things that are happening makes you a little more disappointed because you know the details, but... Um, you know, you can be a 15-year-old kid and not know how to answer to these the things that are going on, whether it's the war, whether it's global warming, and whatever is a way of checking out and saying, yeah. geez, I don't know what I can do, yeah. you know. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, I think it's ultimately, I think there's something very serious about about irony and about cynicism and about and about cool that comes at the second level. I mean, on the yeah. first level is the verbal stuff, and the more serious thing um, is that there are a lot of disappointed people out there. And uh, Colbert and, and Stewart, there was at the New Yorker Festival in New York City, people had T-shirts on that said Colbert and Stewart 08. And <laughs> John Stewart got up on stage and he said, there's nothing that says I'm disappointed in you, my government, than Stuart <laughs> Colbert 08. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I you know, think that's incredibly yeah, true. Yeah, that's a wonderful thing, chicaronic and bitter thing to say. <laughs> you, you were going back. I think that's the way uh, people who use that form of of humor uh, say thank you in a way is is by saying, "Can't you do any better than me?" Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Yeah. That's right. I mean, it's the old Groucho Marx saying: "No one, yeah. would, I don't want to belong to a club that would have someone like me as a member." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say one other thing while we're on the subject of the Daily Show, and I love Colbert, and I and I the in the, the Daily Show also, except that lately, I, I'm I have to say I have this sinking feeling that the the Daily Show isn't as funny as it used to be, because the things that we're talking about now are increasingly less funny. To be mm-hmm. made fun of, as if you will, as the as the war digresses into or spirals into some kind of seventh circle of hell, and the, and the and the planet becomes less and less inhabitable, the things they're making fun of aren't as funny as they were maybe even just a few years ago. Is is, is that irony is, is it, overload? Is, is it there? draining? Yeah, is, is it been being drained of its irony because, am, or am I just wrong in my perspective here? No, I think it's right on. I, but I, I do think that they're hinged together. It's just yeah. um, the the irony isn't, uh, you know, to to be ironic about these sort of things that are dark. Yeah. Um, I don't think it always means being uh, being funny about it. It's. I, I think it does mean to have this yeah. distance, and things yeah. are increasingly bleak. There's a yeah. a, a great cartoonist who's out there named David Reese who has a cartoon called Get Your War On oh, which yeah. may, maybe some of your readers know and I think that he really nails it with the yeah. with the attitude and the general sensibility that a lot of people have is what are you supposed to do when someone like Stephen Hawking brilliant genius that he is says the human race needs to spread out into space to avoid catastrophe yeah. what, what do you do with that information? <laughs> it's not you can't you don't you know you don't react to it ironically or make jokes because yeah. it just is like you want to have a panic attack just like yeah. huh yeah yeah we're speaking with R J McGill uh, the book is chic ironic bitterness 
And, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to get to uh, Roger Rosenblatt's essay that came mm-hmm. out right after 9-11, The Age of Irony Comes to an End. Now, yep. is it, I, I, in a way, i got to say that irony is kind of like cool, because once you say it's at an end is, is when, it, when it's flourishing. When, uh, the, the very fact that someone would say something like that means that it's, it's going it's it's to shift into another gear. At least that's the way I read it. What did you feel when you read that uh, essay back? I just thought, I thought it was strange. That came out, I think, nine days, and it's very, it's very I'm honored to be on the show today um, on the anniversary. Uh, again, uh, there's no way that we can ever encop- encapsulate in words just how insanely horrible that day was. Um, but nine days afterwards, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Rosenblatt wrote an essay in Time magazine called The Age of Irony Comes to an End, and uh, he said at least one good thing can come to this horror, It'll spend, spell the end of the age of irony. Uh, and then some other people joined in. Uh, James Pinkerton at Newsday said the same thing, that it would spell the end of a generation of, of ironists and cynics, or something to that effect. And Graydon Carter, who was the editor of Vanity Fair, uh, used to run Spy Magazine, Satire Magazine, mm-hmm. and he basically said the same thing, this will be the end of the age of the end of irony. And it was just a weird thing, I think, for, for many people to say, so this horrible tragedy has happened, and the first thing that some columnists go after is irony. Yeah. And that seemed to be the strangest counterattack ever. Um, and that was yeah. part of the reason for, for looking into to some of the history of why it would be counterattacked, but um, it's, it's, it was a strange, a strange move, especially because... Yeah. Irony as a form of critique is incredibly useful for pointing out the things that um, we are annoyed at, that we that frustrate us, that you know, hypocrites and liars and um, those fun guys. It would it points out the intellectual divide. I guess there is a there is a marker right there. If Mm. if after confronting something uh, that is horrible, Mm -hmm. that you lose your sense of humor. I, you know, forever. You're saying, well, that's the end of it. I, I don't know what, what that means about those people, like Roger Rosenblatt. Maybe it means they're just self-important uh, geeks, you know, yeah. who, who believe that, well, if I say it's over, it's over. If I, can't find, if I can't find a light at the end of the tunnel, well, then no one else is allowed to. Mm. Yeah, and well, it, but it seems like a, an entirely, for, for given that moment, nine days after yeah. 9-11-01, entirely rational, reasonable, normal to say, like, okay, nothing's funny anymore. Right. Um, this is a, is a wake-up call for a lot of people. Um, but to, to put it in such absolute terms as yeah. this will be the end of, the iron, of irony forever or the end of cynicism forever, seemed, uh, it just seemed short-sighted. I mean, yeah. I, I, don't, I can't I don't blame the, any of the columnists. It just seemed yeah. um, a little heated, and, it, and deservedly heated. It was, uh, you know, nine days after. Um, but it just spiraled uh, from there, I think, in, on, on the other side in political speech, Things got more and more serious, and the only the serious people are true patriots, and yeah. that ignores an entirely long and rich history of American literary culture of, and humorous and satirist. And uh, there's one guy in the book I mentioned named Philip Freneau, who was a poet from New Jersey, who just wrote satires. But he's he also was selected by then Secretary of State Thomas Jefferson to come and run a newspaper in Philadelphia. So the history of satire is absolutely bound up in noble things, 
uh, and it just seemed to be pushed aside and accused of I don't even know what um, after after 9/11. And, and like you said earlier, as soon as you proclaim something is dead and gone, people will rise to the ranks and make sure that doesn't happen, especially when it comes from self-righteous pundits. And, and, and there is an undercurrent here. What I'm hearing is you just identified it. The true patriots aren't funny. Right? I mean, it's sort of you, you're not supposed to be funny if you're a true patriot, and that does kind of go along with this idea that satire is usually. I want that bumper sticker, yeah, Mike. Yeah. Is is usually? Yeah, no kidding. Usually, if uh, if they're uh, uh, sat- satire is a way of tweaking authority, mm-hmm. and I mean, I'm just thinking back as you, as we're talking about the, the great uh, during the Revolutionary War, so much of the political points were made by satire. Uh, among the colonists, and, and, okay. and we said we're that way. And also, one of the one of my favorite films is certainly one of the darkest films, in, and very uh, satirical is Doctor Strangelove. Is yeah. there is there a better example of a of a film that was ex- played straight all the way through it, it that could be more satirical and and uh, ironic, dark. dark and bitter? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, and that's that it's that exact exact same sentiment I think that Kubrick brought into the film that. Uh, that someone like, again, I hate to plug him, but uh, David Reese is doing in the cartoon is like, mm-hmm. it's funny, dark, but as Homer Simpson said a million times, uh, it's funny because it's true. <laughs> yeah. And that's like one of the most brilliant lines in The Simpsons, and that I hope it sticks with culture for a long time. But that dark stuff that, um, again, I, I just think there's a, we don't know how to process that. Yeah. yeah. No, and no, this is the only way is to take this internal stance and, and step back and say, I need to protect what's near and dear and, you know, certain values that come from our, our religious traditions and, uh, you know, things we still find, find important somehow, sincerity and authenticity. Uh, when we're confronted with these dark realities, um, yeah, and again, I, I don't have the answer. I don't know what we do besides go into this default attitude that, we, that we're used to doing now. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, again, I'll go back to my original point on this, is that I think real patriots are satirical and, and ironic in this, in this as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So, uh, anyway. uh, we're speaking yeah, no, with... <laughs> I, I think that's, yeah, I think that's right on. I think that's right on. Um, yeah, seriousness has the hand up right now. It's got the leg up for, <laughs> yeah, for whatever yeah. reason. But, but that, the, I'm sorry to cut you off. No, I'm, just, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I, this it goes back. You can go way back in our history to go back to this sort of, the, you know, the, the patriot versus the the person who is about, uh, uh, you know, pinching the nose of the king here, and uh, exactly. and that's what we're about. That's we're right. Speak- that's right. And that's, a high, that's so American. I mean, it's, yeah. we have a from the get go, we have a problem with authority all the way back, and uh, it's always been done with, with ironic jabs and satire and, and dark humor, and that's, it's still around. It's not, it's not going to go anywhere. Uh, and that's why it's always weird to, to hear the, it's going to be gone, or it's going to be erased, or it's the opposite of being sincere. It's just these are false polarities that, that don't exist. They're, those things are just so intricately tied up. I mean, now how you express the sincerity to other other ironists, for lack of a better word, is through is through satire and humor. I mean, that's how you show you know what's going on in the world. Well, aren't we just being so elitist? <laughs> yeah, I, I if there were if there were just the three of us, yes. But yeah. I think it's really millions of people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and by the so way, just, in, in defense of elitism, I I I do believe in elitism to some degree. 
Yeah, what, what's your what's your take on that, yeah. RJ? On on elitism, you think you think that more people ought to be elite? <laughs> Gosh, that's loaded. Yeah, it is. Um, isn't it? I, mean, <laughs> I think that people. I think that we have a right to make judgments about things yeah. that we think are crappy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, we, there's we have this massive cultural machine that generates these cultural products, and they fly at us from everywhere, and a lot of it is just horrible. And yeah, I think it's okay to to hold up certain aesthetic standards and um, and moral standards, not to be horribly horribly stringent, because the rest of it is is in some sense interesting and fun to watch. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think we'd be ridiculous if we didn't uh, have some degree of uh, strong judgment about our tastes yeah. and about what we think uh, is the right thing to do. And I mean, without that, you you collapse into some mushy relativism. Yeah. And that, unfortunately, ironists get get hounded a lot for for doing that. That they're relativists and everything's okay, and you can laugh at anything. But I think if you watch uh, the Daily Show and the Colbert Report and these other shows we talked about earlier, that behind the jokes and behind the satire, and um, if you look at you know movies like Superbad, I think that um, I think the directors also. Yeah. Dealing with irony in some sense, underneath all the funny stuff is something very serious, yeah. and it's it's a judgment and it's a, a demand that that people in authority and in political office are are held to the same standards as we expect each other to to be held to. I don't think that's a huge, I don't think that's elitist, and I don't think that's a huge stretch or a huge request to have our our political rep- representatives behave themselves because they're always telling us to do it. Yeah. Well, I want to I want to thank you so much for being here on Weekly Signals. The book is Chic Ironic Bitterness. RJ McGill Jr., thank you so much. Thank you guys so much. Have a great day. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews including upcoming guests or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit NathanCallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And this is Weekly Signals.